Alright, so we just turned off 27 onto State Road 474, and we need to go four miles down. Look at your odometer. Uh, 1250. So 1254 is where we stop. Alright. So there's like a... Continue on County Route 474. One of the things that I like to do when I research a case, if it's possible, is to visit the crime scene. So I dragged my mom out one day and we headed to Claremont, Florida. So, there's nothing out here. Yeah, it's nothing. Being that she is someone who knows her way around true crime herself, mom wanted to verify that there actually were cypress trees in the area. There's nothing here. I mean, we're, we're looking now at the road and there's some dirt roads. Although, we are seeing some, um, a truck come off the dirt road here. Sand pit, probably. Yeah, and there, I was told there was a sand pit here, so. My mom is generally suspicious of everybody, which isn't necessarily a bad trait to have when you're venturing into the world of unsolved homicide. We are here. Uh, do you want to go a little bit further? Let's go a teeny bit further, and then we'll turn around and it'll be on that side, because I, I, I suspect it's uh, right around there, where those trucks, you know what I mean? I think that's probably I'm where it is. Checking for cypress trees. Yeah, I don't And I don't see, see a any. whole lot of cypress trees. I don't see any. Do you? No, but I'll tell you when we... Well, I need to look at the roots in the, to see, too. Sometimes, you know, they're, they're a softer wood. and Not a softer wood, but a, a cleaner wood. Mm -hmm. And if you want to just stay parked right here and we'll walk across, we can do that. Right. We are right Please now at where we need to be. Yeah, exactly. That's uh, a very old sign. Yeah, it could have been here back then. Ten foot of scrub and then trees. And Boy. it does go down. It goes down. And these are tall trees. These have been here. So it does, you go in about 10 feet from the, the road where it is mowed, and then it just is, is weed. And so it goes down. Well, you can see right there how far it goes down. Look uh -huh. at right there. What's this? Oh, no, a lot of, a lot of cars. Um, yeah, see right there, there's a drainage piece right there, so you can see it goes down right there. So she was in five foot of weeds. She was just... The, the, the drag from the car to the to the side of the road from wherever he parked to the, the on the side of the road I assume he parked on this side and then waded in and then very little it was quick it was steps away before because he said it was right after you know it was 20 feet in so this is about 10 it, it was right there I mean he would have dumped her right there and, and you see the water it's it's, yes, I it's see swampy the water. It's very swampy. I, I'm, I'm wondering what the difference in the change in this many years. These trees had, you know, they look old, but they don't look. Well, they're tall. That's old. Forty years old, uh, fifty years. You know, they're, they're, they've been here. These are the ones that are here, and yeah. I just don't see any um, major cypress issues here. Any, you know. See that? What about on that side? Are those the smoother? Those are bigger. That side, that that could be cypress that right, right there. That's cypress right there. Yeah. So the other side of the road has cypress. Yes, it does. Okay, I see that. That looks like cypress, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah, with all the stuff growing up in. Okay. So there's cypress in the area, and it's old. You can tell because it's it's got yeah, that. That is all cypress right there. Yeah. It would have taken very quick. And at night, I suspect the traffic is much less. So in and out. But this is not a road that, um, I mean, it was right off 27. So 27, and if you're on 27 and you've got a dead body in your car and then you turn down here, um, this 
it, that makes sense to stop right here and do it. So the person maybe didn't even have to, um, I don't know what that intersection looked like back then. That intersection that we turned from 27. Oh, they could have come from 33 too. We don't know which side that the killer came from, 33 or 27. I think we have to assume that the perp would dump the body on the side of the road where he pulled off, rather than park on the side of the road like mom and I did and then walk across to the other side. Nobody's dragging a body across a road, even in the dark, hoping that no one else passes by. They're stopping, pulling the body out of the vehicle, dragging or rolling it into the ditch, and then getting the hell out of Dodge. If this supposition is correct, that would mean that the person who dumped Jane Doe's body came from the direction of Highway 33 rather than Highway 27. And I believe my supposition is further supported by the police report, which describes her as laying face up in a ditch on 474, approximately four miles east of Highway 33 on the south side of the roadway. It's remote. I mean, at night, you would probably not see many no, cars. You would no. just dump a body and then leave. I would think not. And that's the other thing. No purse, no shoes, no jewelry found on her. If the encounter happened just in the car and it didn't start somewhere else, um, he might have dumped her. That doesn't mean that it, the things are not dumped in here somewhere. Yeah. That's I wonder the, if they dragged in. I don't know. I'm going to ask. I don't, I don't see any indication that they, they did go back and search the, where she was found a little bit um, on that one side, but I don't know if they searched for any other items. But if he dumped the body and then and then the shoes fell off, or I mean, no, neither shoe. That's kind of strange. They weren't on her body, I don't think, at the time. Uh -huh. um, now maybe the maybe the situation started at a home or another place that he put the body in the car and left and went somewhere. Yeah, else. I would definitely say this was not the crime scene. There's no purse. No, it's definitely not the crime scene. Unless but it if, was back in there. If and the then car he came was the if it. the car was the crime scene, um, I wouldn't think both her shoes and her purse would would stay in the car. We don't know if she was wearing jewelry, but I would imagine she had a purse and some shoes. So if the encounter happened in the car, did he, uh, was she wearing sandals? Did he draw, you know, and they come off while he's dragging her out and then he jumped back in the car quick before a car came and then tossed them out the window as he was driving further. You know, there could be her, mm -hmm. her, her purse and shoes could be in these woods somewhere and we wouldn't know it. On September 27th, two days after Jane Doe was found, at approximately 6.45 p.m., Detective Sergeant Yawn took the following statement from the owner of the Spur gas station. Her name was Betty, and that gas station was located about a quarter mile north of the 192 exit on Highway 27, and this was about six miles from where our Jane Doe was found. Let me see if I can make this easy for you. Close your eyes and picture the capital letter H. The stick to the left is State Road 33. The stick to the right, Highway 27. Our Jane Doe was found in the middle of the line that connects the two vertical sticks of the H, and that is County Road 474. Now, Miss Betty told the detective that a frequent customer that she knew as Jay was in the station about a month prior to the body being found. A white female customer had initiated a conversation with her on that day, and they were chatting when this Jay approached the counter. He told the female that he would like to pay for her beer. She was in the process of trying to pay for that beer, and she refused Jay's offer. But Miss Betty says that Jay kept insisting. Eventually, he gave up. Miss Betty said that Jay hung around after that, trying to make conversation, and even followed the female as she exited the station. Betty overheard Jay ask the female to go have a beer with him, and the woman repeatedly said no. Jay then said, One beer won't hurt you. At that point, Miss Betty thought that the woman might have accepted his offer 
because he pointed south toward 192. Then the two drove off in separate vehicles. The female was driving a dark sports car, possibly a Triumph. Jay was driving a red Chevette. Betty described the woman as tall with strawberry blonde hair, and she was friendly, but Betty couldn't recall what clothing that she was wearing. She told the detective that Jay had been into the store on several occasions since that incident and bought beer. In fact, she said, Jay had come in on the day after that body was found and told Miss Betty that he had found a girl that was dead and badly decomposed. He asked Miss Betty, You remember that girl I was talking to a month ago in the station? And Miss Betty said yes. Jay said the dead girl he found looked just like her. Then he said he tried to tell that girl over and over to get rid of her boyfriend. He was no good, and that sooner or later he would kill her. These statements led Miss Betty to believe that Jay had gotten to know the blonde that had been in her station a month earlier. Since he kept saying, I told her he was no good, I told her. He was no good. Betty also remembered Jay once telling her that he worked for one of the sand mines off County Road 474, which, you may recall, is the road on which our Jane Doe was found. Now, here is where things are going to get a little confusing, so I want you to take a couple deep breaths and listen closely. Detective Yon spoke with a couple more people at various locations off of 474, and he learned that someone named Bubba owned a red Chevette and used to work at Florida Crushed Stone on 474, and that Bubba lived with someone named Jay on a dirt road on State Road 33. This location where Bubba and Jay lived together is not far from where the body was found either. So now, the detective goes to that home on the dirt road off State Road 33 and speaks with someone named Jay. The report says, quote, The writer spoke with Jay, redacted, who advised that he has a person known as Bubba that lives with him and that he does own a red Chevette. It goes on to say, quote, This writer learned the subject's real name to be James, redacted. This writer obtained information that James brought a tall, blondish-haired girl home with him on one occasion approximately a month ago, but he wasn't sure at the name that James gave him, possibly Cheryl. Now, I assume the he in question there is Jay. Jay wasn't sure about the name of the blonde-haired girl that Bubba had brought home. Bubba, a.k.a. James. This writer attempted to obtain other identifying information on James redacted, but no date of birth or tag, or social security number was available from Jay. So we've got a Jay, and we've got a James. And we've got Betty saying the guy that came up to the store that day, she knew him as Jay. So I bet right now you're thinking like I was in the beginning, that the Jay that Detective Yon is interviewing about Bubba is the same person that Miss Betty encountered in her store, right? Well, not according to police. According to them, James redacted, is the person that Betty was referring to as Jay, although nobody else interviewed knew him as Jay or referred to him as such. Everyone else called him Bubba. We've got Jay and we've got James who live together, and James is also known as Bubba. But according to police, James is who Miss Betty was talking about when she referred to Jay. That would be James, a.k.a. Bubba. Detective Yon left Jay and Bubba's house that day with a basic story given to him by Jay, but no identifying information on Bubba, a.k.a. James. Now, in his capacity as law enforcement officer, 
Detective Yon apparently knew a tall, reddish-blonde-haired girl named Cheryl, who drove a blue MG and lived in Claremont, because he thought that she generally fit the description of the woman in the gas station incident. He went to her house and he talked to her. He asked her if she had been at the Spur gas station a month ago and been confronted by a male who tried to pay for her beer. Cheryl said, nope, not me. She said she had not even been to the Spur gas station during that time period. The report says, quote, This writer asked Cheryl if she knew a subject that drove a red Chevette named James, and she stated that she knew James but that he had a nickname of Bubba. She says she's known him for about five years, and she also said, It's strange you should ask about him because I haven't seen him for a while, and he called here tonight to ask if I was all right. He seemed upset, and he told me he found a dead girl that looked like me. I didn't talk long to him, and he hung up. The detective asked her where Bubba said that he found the girl, and she said Bubba told her on 474, which was where she was found. Now, if it were me, here's where I would have asked Cheryl to clarify how long a while was. She said she hadn't seen Bubba for a while, so how long is a while? A week? A month? Because that's kind of important to narrowing down when the last time she saw him was, and if it could have been at that gas station, or at Jay and Bubba's house. They didn't ask her that either. At least as far as I can see, nobody said, Hey, Cheryl, have you ever been to Jay and Bubba's house? That's kind of important, and I'll explain why in a little bit. There are quite a few instances in this part of the story that the detective could have gotten concrete information if he had asked the right questions. Like, why Miss Betty is the only one calling James, a.k.a. Bubba, Jay. She's saying Jay was the male who had the interaction with the blonde at the gas station, but that's awfully confusing when there's another Jay who Bubba, a.k.a. James, lives with. Now, I know there's a Jay, and I know there's a James because they have different last names. I'm just choosing to redact them for the podcast. But why didn't the detective nail down whether both of these roommates were called Jay? It's certainly possible that Jay could have been driving James, a.k.a. Bubba's, Chevette that night up at this door, and it could have been him. The only thing so far that sticks out that might assure us that the Jay that Miss Betty was talking to was James, a.k.a. Bubba, is that she mentioned that he worked at Florida Crush Stone, or at least he said he did. But unfortunately, I see no corroborating evidence that shows that they actually talked to anyone at Florida Crush Stone and verified that Bubba worked there. This is a good illustration of how important succinct police reports are to cold case investigations when people are reading them decades later. When they're unclear, then parts of the case remain unclear as well. Anyway, at this point, Detective Yon heads over to Florida Crushed Stone because this is where Bubba allegedly works. That's what Miss Betty said that he had told her. He wants to try to get a license tag number for the Red Chevette, but when he gets there, the business is closed and the front gate is secured. The last paragraph of Detective Yon's report reads, quote, This writer recontacted Betty for any further information and found that on one other occasion, Jay, parentheses, James, was at her station and went out front by Highway 27 and urinated in the presence of some customers. She states he is a very strange acting character, described as being approximately 5'9", 170 to 180 pounds, dirty blonde hair, and most always appeared to be dirty. She had no further information, but advised that should he return, she would attempt to obtain his tag number. So, even to that point, they did not have Bubba's tag number. Now, maybe based on that physical description, 5'9", 170, 180 pounds, dirty blonde hair, most always appeared to be dirty, 
Maybe that's the information that the police had at the time to rule out who Betty was speaking to. Maybe that's not what the real Jay looked like. The next day, on the 28th, Investigator Morrison and Sergeant Wagner went back to see Miss Betty, and she pretty much told them the same thing that she told Detective Yawn. She also indicated that the woman who'd been in her store that day had told her that she was a bartender at Orange Lake Country Club and that she and Jay knew each other. Now remember, Miss Betty is still calling Bubba Jay, but police believe that the Jay she's talking about is Bubba. And this is the part in the report that confuses me as a reader some decades later. Not only is Miss Betty still calling James, a.k.a. Bubba, Jay, but in Morrison's report, the one I'm reading to you right now, he writes, quote, It has been determined that the person known as Jay is James Redacted. Doesn't say how that's been determined, just says that they have now determined that the Jay to which Miss Betty was referring is James, a.k.a. Bubba. So, in conclusion, we've got two guys who live together, one named Jay, and one who sometimes is called Bubba, and sometimes is called Jay, but his real name is James. I just want to apologize to you guys right now. I know it's a hot mess. I didn't write the report. I'm just reporting on it. Morrison and Wagner now pay a visit to the director of personnel at Orange Lake Country Club, which is on 192 in Kissimmee, Florida, about 30 miles away. Personnel records indicate that James, a.k.a. Bubba, was 36 years old at the time, and he had worked at the Orange Lake Country Club from March of 85 through August of 88. He was apparently let go because of a drinking problem. Orange Lake Country Club Human Resources told them that Cheryl was a former bartender there whose last day of employment was August 19th of 1986, so she hadn't worked there for a couple years. The actual Jay, Bubba's roommate, was still employed by Orange Lake Country Club at the time the detectives visited, but it doesn't say when he began his employment, so we have no way of knowing if his employment coincided with Cheryl's or if he started working there after she left in 86. Remember, that's two years prior. His witness statements indicate that he didn't know the name of the tall, strawberry blonde female that his roommate, Bubba, had brought over a month before they had been questioned. So that could indicate that Cheryl left the country club before Jay started working there. But again, we can't know for sure because it does not appear that the investigator asked Jay if he knew Cheryl. That would have actually gone a pretty long way to clearing up whether Bubba brought Cheryl to their house a month before the body was found. If Jay had been shown a picture of Cheryl and said, oh yeah, that's the girl that Bubba brought here, all of this would have been cleared up. That didn't happen, so we don't know if Bubba, in fact, brought Cheryl to his house that night. Cheryl certainly didn't say that that occurred. We're left wondering if it was, in fact, Cheryl that went to Jay and Bubba's house that night, or could it have been our Jane Doe? After speaking with Human Resources, Wagner and Morrison went to speak with actual Jay. He told them that Bubba lived with him and his girlfriend Tammy, and that he first heard about a dead body on Sunday afternoon, the day she was found. He said that he and Tammy and Bubba were at home, and some friends came over and said that they had just passed several sheriff's vehicles on 474. They said that a deputy told them the body of a girl had been found. He said this was the first time he heard about it, and as far as he knows, it was the first time that Bubba had heard about it, too. He had no idea why Bubba would have told someone, two someones, actually, that he found the body. Next, Morrison and Wagner spoke with Bubba. 
He insisted that the woman at the spur gas station a month before was the Cheryl that police had already spoken to, even though she said it wasn't. He said the first time he heard about the body being found was Sunday afternoon when some friends came to the house and told him. He said he didn't tell anyone he found a body. He said that what he said was, the body of the girl that was found in the woods looks like his friend Cheryl. He told police that he had since called Cheryl and that she was okay. So, I guess my question is, how the hell did he know what the body looked like? This is one day after Jane Doe was found and he's telling Miss Betty he found a girl that was dead and badly decomposed. He asked Miss Betty if she remembered that girl he'd been talking to about a month earlier in the station and she said yes, she remembered. And he said that girl he found looked like the girl he's calling Cheryl. Well, how could he know that? Now, I can buy that maybe he said they found a girl dead and badly decomposed, not I did, even though that means he has to have said that twice to two separate people on two different occasions. But how did he know the day after she was found what Jane Doe looked like? None of the articles from the time period that I was able to find included information about her description at all, other than a female had been found dead. Did the deputies at the scene give out that information to Jay and Bubba's friends who passed by? Because that is literally the only way Bubba would have known that information, to be able to tell Miss Betty at the station the next day. I can't think of a single other way, a day after the body was found, that Bubba would know what the dead girl looked like. Unfortunately, it doesn't look like anybody thought to ask Bubba how he knew what the dead girl looked like. On the same day that Morrison and Wagner spoke with Bubba, they also spoke with a detective from the Claremont Police Department about another female, and I'm going to quote a couple lines of this report, even though they eventually ruled this possible victim out due to numerous things including dental issues not in common with our Jane Doe, like missing front teeth and severely bitten fingernails. But I'm going to mention it because it gives you an idea of the possible thought processes of the detectives at the time. The Claremont detective described another female who was missing as, quote, a hooker working truck drivers on U.S. 27 who has not been seen for three or four weeks. Now, I think beyond the fact that nowadays generally the term sex worker is used rather than hooker, I'm not mentioning this as a way to suggest that police were in any way demeaning the victims. They were not. I don't see anything in the report to suggest that. They were simply using the terminology that was common back then. The detective was simply relaying the facts as he knew them, that a missing person had been plying her trade on truck drivers and doing so in this area. It's clear that at the time, police were at least entertaining the possibility that our Jane Doe had been a sex worker. I mention this because when I spoke to the man who found our Jane Doe, I asked him about this too. This is an odd question, but just in case, do you know of any areas nearby where prostitutes might have hung out? Like if, for example, um, you know, she was picked up in that situation. Do you know of anywhere in that general area where people would know that that's where to go to, to, you know, find the company of a prostitute? There was a truck stop in uh, Haines City, Florida, which was about 20 miles down south of there on Highway 27, but other than that, I wouldn't know. There was always something hung around that truck stop. Okay, so that's something I can look into, too. Yeah. The next thing that Morrison did was return to the scene where Jane Doe was found to re-examine it with someone from tech services. Those are the folks who process the scenes. The report notes that the ground was muddy in the area where she was found, apparently from body fluids. In the area of where the victim's right side was, a small bone was found, and as they probed further, five fingernails were found in the mud. 
When they searched the area around where the head would have been, they found 11 teeth. All of this evidence was taken to be processed. I should note that at the end of December of 1988, the Lake County Sheriff's Office received inked impressions from four fingers of the left hand of Jane Doe from the FBI Latent Fingerprint Division. An automated search was conducted by the FBI, but no identification was made. The inked impressions were also submitted to APHIS. Unfortunately, Jane Doe's case stalled pretty quickly. Aside from a couple other missing people being checked against what they knew about Jane Doe, there is very little to this investigative file. I'm also troubled by how the investigation into the whole J-slash-James, a.k.a. Bubba situation seemed to fizzle out. Too many questions were left unanswered. Maybe I could believe that one person mistook Bubba for saying he heard about a dead girl rather than found one himself, but not two different people. There is also no credible explanation for how he knew that the dead girl looked like Cheryl. Why didn't police ever ask Cheryl if she had a boyfriend who did drugs to confirm Bubba's story about who she was or press her about the incident in the store again? Cheryl herself says she wasn't at the Spur gas station on the day in question. I'm still not certain who owned that Chevette and which of the guys was at the store that night. Nothing about this situation seems fully vetted to me. I was left feeling as though this thread was left dangling. That's disappointing because it was one of the few threads that they had early on. In the next episode, we learn that there was way more to Jane Doe and her story. Stay tuned.